Hello, and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Megan Liz Smith, and joining me as always is the delightful Annika Merrilies. Thank you, Megan. Hello. We have two topics lined up for today's roundtable. First, I will talk about the impact of technology on the grocery industry. Then I'll talk about a new University of Missouri system initiative that will help student entrepreneurs. Up next, an interview I did with Dave Copps, who's founded three artificial intelligence companies. Then we'll finish it off with a look at some important numbers in startup and entrepreneurship news and this week's top headlines. Should we get started? I think we should. All right, let's do it. Technology is changing the way we live our lives, sometimes without us even noticing. For consumers, this isn't really that big of a deal. For instance, it's been really interesting seeing how fast bird scooters have taken off on Mizzou's campus. One day I'm walking to work and suddenly everyone is zipping around on these electric scooters. It's been fascinating to watch, but honestly hasn't really impacted my life much. But it's a very different situation for businesses. Failing to keep up with technology can have a huge impact on a company's success. This is true in almost every industry. But today I'm talking particularly about what that means for the grocery industry. Okay, so maybe I'm out of the loop, but what do grocery companies have to do with keeping up with tech innovation? I actually found out about the story in a St. Louis Post-Dispatch article from Sunday written by Brian Felt that looked at some Missouri grocers that are determined not to get left behind. And the article mentioned one study that found more than half of all grocery sales today are digitally influenced. More than half. So that means grocery stores that aren't able to go digital are missing out on a huge number of sales. Wow, that's that's a lot more than I expected. I still think of grocery shopping as something that's pretty analog, you know? I mean, with the exception of some Amazon stores and some other people going into the cashierless grocery store market. Right? Like, it feels like that it's one of those few things that doesn't change. Like, you just get up, you go, you push your cart, you grab some eggs, and you check out. But another interesting fact is that 18 million Americans have a grocery app installed on their smartphones. And that number is expected to double over the next five years, according to research from eMarketer. So that's all really interesting, but what's going on with this in Missouri? Well, in St. Louis, two of the city's biggest grocery chains have made the leap into the digital sphere within the last few years. Schnook Markets and Deerberg's both have their own mobile apps. Schnook's recently partnered with the St. Louis-based company Worldwide Technology, which I mentioned later on, to expand on their Schnook's Reward program and app. It launched last month and shortly after broke into the top free shopping category in the Google Play Store. Another really interesting way that technology is changing the industry is the move toward cashierless stores. Right. I mean, a lot of people have probably heard about Amazon acquiring Whole Foods and and that they're planning to go completely cashierless in, in the future. And there's also a story I wrote about in last week's Accelerator newsletter about a cashierless store that opened up in San Francisco. And the interesting thing about it was that it tracks purchases and potential shoplifting with 27 cameras that analyze customers' behavioral data. And that one's not an Amazon store. That one was started by a company called Standard Cognition. So, Megan, do you want to give us a summary of what all this means? Overall, we're seeing more aggressive integration of digital technology by grocery chains. But that's just the tip of the digital disruption iceberg for supermarkets. All right, let's get started with the University of Missouri system. So Moon Choi is the president of the University of Missouri system. And last week, he made some big announcements for Missouri's student entrepreneurs. For one, he announced the launch of the EQ Student Accelerator. Here's how he described it. EQ Student Accelerator. This project is designed to offer the best aspects 
of our innovation and entrepreneurship programs that are offered at each of the universities, but offered for all of the students that are at the UM system. So what's this program going to look like? So student entrepreneurs will compete for first, second, and third place prizes with a total of $30,000 up for grabs at each university. Uh, and then there will be another round competing for $30,000 on the system level. And so according to Choi's announcement, the university system is allocating $250,000 in funding for it. Each campus, that's St. Louis, Rolla, Columbia, and Kansas City, will pick 10 semifinalists who will get to participate in an eight-week educational program. And that'll include mentorship opportunities, pitch competitions, and, and financial support for finalists. Huh. How soon will students be able to get involved? Applications are due on October 19th, and then the eight-week program begins in January, and there's another round of competition in April. Huh. Wait, and you said there were two big announcements from the speech, so what's the other one? <laughs> right. So for the second part, you need to know that KC SourceLink is a program that was developed in Kansas City at UMKC. It's kind of an entrepreneurship story of its own, but what it does is it supports entrepreneurs by connecting them with a variety of resources. So during the speech, Choi announced that the University of Missouri system is supporting the expansion of KC SourceLink with a one and a quarter million dollar investment. Huh. Do you want to summarize all of this? Basically, it's looking like opportunities are about to expand for Missouri's student entrepreneurs. Awesome. All right. Well, that's all that we have for the roundtable today. Next up, Annika talks to Dave Copps, an entrepreneur who founded three companies based around artificial intelligence. In the last 15 years, Dave Copps has founded, launched, and sold three companies focused on machine learning and artificial intelligence. He just stepped down from the most recent company, Brainspace, in April. Would you mind kind of walking me through the three companies that you've mm -hmm. launched and uh, sold over the past 15 years? I, yeah. The first one was Ingenium? Ingenium, yeah. Okay. It's really the, the two that matter were the first two. The uh, last two, the Ingenium was one where we, we built a semantic search engine. So Google's out and search is a big thing, but uh, there were certain markets that really needed more than a keyword search. Like, could you actually teach a system to learn dynamically from data? That was the question we were answering. Could I, instead of me building a system that had a lot of rules in it, could I give a system lots of documents, have it read those documents, understand what they're about, and build a learning from that that I could use in search? And um, I think what really happened for us when the aha moment happened, when we started doing searches that were bringing back results that didn't contain the words we were using to search for them. So the system actually <laughs> understood the concept of what we were looking for and found things that were related, even though I didn't use those specific words. So that's, that was really interesting. That's when we learned that um, machine learning could really be transformative, you know. And so that company led to, well, we sold that company, and that led to uh, Brainspace. And Brainspace was kind of a different question. We were asking ourselves, there's all this data in the world, and it's already in search engines. What if we could build an engine that could learn dynamically from data and search for it anywhere? Right. And um, that's what we did. We built an engine that could learn dynamically from human language, so it could read documents or emails or whatever. And as it read, it could start to draw these correlations between words and concepts and thoughts and ideas on a massive scale. So you could literally take 100 million documents and connect all the concepts and thoughts and ideas in those 100 million documents in a multidimensional space. And oh, my God. Yeah. My mind is rolling with yeah, all the yeah, yeah. applications uh, of this. But it's, uh, you know, it was a fascinating journey because it's amazing what you can learn from language. When you can, when you can start to expand it outward, like when, when you and I are reading a book, it's one page at a time. 
Mm-hmm. We have this kind of a very serial way of learning where AI can take that same book or hundreds or thousands of books like it, rip out all the pages and learn from all, both sides simultaneously. Wow. So the breadth of learning is just almost unimaginable. And when you learn at that scale and at that breadth, you start to see patterns and occurrences that you can't see if you read one page at a time. Right. We started surfacing insights and answers for people that they had no idea were out there. And so it was a lot of fun. That's incredible. <laughs> so Ingenium, mm-hmm. you started that back in, was that 2003? Uh, before that even. I think it was right at the 99. So what was, long what time was ago. AI technology like then? Nothing. There wasn't anything. <laughs> no. I like to tell people we were doing machine learning before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very hipster yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, we did it way before anyone else was doing it. Um, which, again, I think it was a blessing because... Um, it was harder to sell because when we walked into companies, it was like they looked at you like a cow at a new gate. You know, it's like, why? What's this thing you're talking about? Yeah. You know? But once we showed them the product and showed them how it worked, there was this magical moment where it would find things that other engines couldn't find. So we, we used to walk in and say, here's, you know, 500 documents. Do a search on your search engine and now do it on ours. And ours would always bring back more documents, always. And they were all relevant because – Here's what's kind of funny. We realized this early on, and people are still don't quite get this, but search is a false positive. When you put a word in a search engine and you search for it, it finds all the things with that word in it, but it doesn't show you things you're not looking for. Right. It doesn't show, like, related things right. that you might not have thought to put in yeah. your keywords. Okay. And they're getting better. I mean, the Google algorithms obviously are very good now, and they, um, they focus on page rank, which finds other popular things that are related. And, but we had this idea of truly conceptual search, you know, like, Give me a word and I'll show you all the related concepts. And I'm going to put those words together and find documents that are related to that. So we're talking about this very conceptually, which I think is really great and it helps me understand. But could we talk about some real life examples? Sure. I I was really curious to ask you about Brainspace's role in the Volkswagen (laughs) emissions investigation. (laughs) I cannot confirm or deny that. But but we... uh, (laughs) The technology was used in e-discovery, so a lot. So these large litigations, like the BP oil spill, we were definitely used in that. Uh, I think I can talk about that one. But the challenge was you would have literally hundreds of millions of emails and documents, and you're trying to find out. All you're trying to do is find out who said what when, right? That's it. But the way that happened before Brainspace was they would sit hundreds of lawyers around tables all over the world and look for documents, look for hot documents, and when you think about that, it's, it's, again, kind of a misnomer. If you have 100 silos, people searching, mm-hmm. they're not talking to each other. One right. doesn't know what the other one just found and how it's related to something over here. And when we came along, we connected all the documents and not just the documents, the concepts and thoughts and ideas and all the documents into a unified, what we call a collective intelligence, a brain. Okay. So, like, if you could read 100 million documents, remember every word and how every <laughs> word's related to every other word. That's, wow. what we, that's what we did. And so it literally created this kind of a brain that you could then use and say, here's a hot document you found an email that was really relevant. You could say, find more like this. And the system, given what it's learned, would read the email, understand what it's about, and find all the other things that are similar, even so, if they didn't have the same words. So when you're doing that, are you still kind of in parallel having human people go through these documents to pick up anything that the system might not be able to? Like, is that still necessary? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. We call it augmented intelligence. Okay. And I actually think that's where things are right now with AI. We're not at the point where AI is taking over and, you know, we're all submitting to our robot overlords. We're not, we're not there yet. Where we are today is this area we're calling augmented intelligence. Like, how can I radically improve the productivity of people through their interaction with AI? And so we built systems that used visualizations to visualize the things that the AI was seeing and let people interact with those visualizations. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So you weren't actually even using words. You were using your mouse. So we had this wheel where you could click on a cluster and it would say, oh, here's some subclusters and here's some subclusters. Oh, that's so interesting. And so people could navigate a map of 10 million documents with a mouse. Wow. And it's all based on AI. The AI did all the organization of the data, so it was easy to navigate. Right, which does kind of feel like the way your brain works. Like you That's pick right. on a cluster of a topic That's and exactly connect right. to all these yeah, other... Yeah, you, you, the neurons fire <laughs> and it finds other things that are related. Yeah, and connect to like the source material. Yeah, so... That's where we took off. When we put the visualization with the AI, that's when things really took off because um, we were the only people doing it. Now AI became useful. It wasn't this thing you had to be a data scientist to use. Anyone could do it with 30 minutes of training. Wow. There's so much going on with this. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I guess I wanted to ask you too. So with artificial intelligence, I think that in society, there's a bit of maybe I'll call it suspicion, sure. if you have a better word for it, yeah. or a bit of maybe distrust. Mm-hmm. Is that justified? And, and kind of what do, you, what do you tell people when they bring that up? I'd like to tell people that we're, what we're going through right now with AI is an evolution of trust. And it's being driven by this trade-off of convenience okay. for privacy. And what I mean by that is um, we're interacting once something is easy, you know, once you walk home and say, Alexa, play some, play some music, you know, uh, and it happens, and you didn't have to walk to a receiver or put on a CD or, you know, whatever, once that experience happens, you never want to give it back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what's happening in the world is the AI is starting to take the friction out of our lives. Our interfaces are easier. It's voice. It's, you know, it's a, and everyone's using AI today. We all have AI in our pocket with our phones. You know, maps is a, what we call it, a neurointelligence. Okay. ANI. We have maps as a neurointelligence, series and neurointelligence, Cortana's a neurointelligence, Alexa's a neurointelligence. And so we all use AI every day. But what's funny is if you went to a group of people and just said, hey, how's the AI going for you today? They'll say, what do you mean? Yeah, totally. They don't know they're using it. Totally. I know. The more I read about AI, yeah. the more I'm shocked at all these industries that it's in that I didn't realize. And That's to right. a much greater extent, like at a much more advanced level than I and ever thought. And to things thought. you're using every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so um, what's interesting about AI is that um, when it becomes successful, when it works, it's not like other technologies. Other technologies, when they work, they become very visible. Oh, look at that technology did that. What happens with AI is that it disappears. You don't know you're using it. It just, the world becomes a little automagical. Yeah. So, So, you know, we're adopting it and getting used to it without really realizing it until it becomes necessary. And you won't give it back. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's the key, right? The further we go down the path, we won't go back. We love the convenience of AI. We love what it brings to our lives. And you haven't seen anything yet. I mean, what about the day when you wake up and you're car is connected to your calendar and it's in front of the house and it knows it's 30 degrees outside so it, it put the heater on and it, right. it knows the kids are going to school at 8 30 so it pulls out at 8 15 and warms up you know and then takes the kids to school and comes back and your life just starts to kind of work and that's all literally five years away you know it's, we're not talking 20 30 years on these things as somebody who's led these types of companies how how do you address some of the ethical concerns that come up how much time do we have <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, um, AI learns from data. And one of the problems today is that our data is skewed. If a policing system gives an AI lots of data about crime, it's probably happening in certain neighborhoods and it's learning from that. So today, without any attention to that, AI will become racist, AI will become unethical because it learns from whatever we give it. 
data is really important. I always tell people in the, in the um, intelligence agencies that worry less about people hacking into your AI, worry more about them hacking into your data. Okay. That trains your AI because that's how you screw up AI. You screw up the training data. So, yes, there are concerns today about you know, not just privacy, but what are we teaching AI and what decisions is it making right. with that data? Right. So we have to figure that out, and it's not figured out yet. Do you have any, any thoughts about what might be next for you? Definitely be AI. Um, I, think, I think we're still just in the very early stages of, of AI, and I'm fascinated with computer vision right now. That's something that I'm really looking at hard. Computer vision, when you think about it, when you search a video today, you're... Oh, sorry, that's what you mean by computer vision, like yeah. uh, searching by images and videos? Well, teaching a machine to see the world like we do. So it's way more than matching images. Like, how do you understand what's happening in an image? You know, so it's made me respect the human mind a lot. Your mind is so much without you really trying to do anything. Autonomically, you see things and know what they are, but you don't walk into the studio every day and go, hmm, microphone, speaker. You don't do that. <laughs> yeah. That's what AI does today. How, how could it understand this? And how could it understand that that chair is unoccupied? Does it understand the concept of unoccupied? You know, does it understand when a missile silo opens, that's bad? How can you teach a machine to understand the world like we understand the world? Right. Attaching meaning to these things that it's taking in. Yeah. So how does movement create meaning? And how do you understand the state of an object? A glass is half full. Can a camera look at that glass and go, oh, it's half full? You know, and so the science is really just kicking in there. And we think that's another one of these fun areas because it's the formula of uh, where can you do something where... Everything you do is new. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, one of those areas for me, I think. I, that's, I'm pretty fascinated with that right now. Wow. God, the more we talk about this, the more yeah. it just seems like an like, infinitely <laughs> complex area with like uh, so many different A facets. lot of fun, though. Yeah. I mean, you kind of need an AI machine to decide how to yeah. figure out AI. Yeah. Well, you make it fun, right? You, you got to make it fun. So we, we built these cultures in my in our companies. Uh, I was telling the class today that uh, we use a word, a Swahili word, uh, Ubuntu. And it means um, I am who I am because of who we are together. And so I like to tell people that you're coming to work in an Ubuntu culture. If when you come in this company, if, if you're a diva, we really don't want you here. What we want is people that want to come in and lift up everybody around them. Right. If everybody does that, then uh, we're going to be great. So building these cultures, and I think startup cultures are very different from big company cultures. That's right. what makes them successful, right? It makes you can charge the hill and you can do 10 times the work of a big company because you're more efficient and, and you have great people with great minds and they get together to do incredible things. And, but you have to have the right culture for that. You've got to create an environment where people are thriving with each other. You know? I wanted to ask you as well, it, with the AI debate, kind of there's people who are <laughs> a little more dystopian and a little more utopian or mm-hmm. you know, a little yeah. optimist versus pessimist, Orwellian versus yeah. however you want to put it. Where do you see yourself on that spectrum? I'm uh, more on the utopian side, informed by the dystopian side. I don't think AI is different from any other major technology. I mean, nuclear power can provide energy for you know, millions of homes, and it can also be used to destroy millions of homes. And I think the AI is, is like that. There are certainly things that, unfortunately, governments are going to go after using AI to do and, and uh, autonomous weapon systems and things like that. But the, the other side of the equation is way more exciting. I mean, when you start to realize that by using AI, I talked about in the class today that there's crazy amounts of data available. Now we have accelerated hardware with these GPUs that NVIDIA is making, and now we have software like deep learning. Those three things together are going to transform every industry, every industry. I mean, not one will not be affected by that. So 
you're going to see things getting a lot easier, a lot faster. Productivity is going to go way up. Uh, efficiency is going to go way up. The world will become a little easier. Mm-hmm. Healthcare costs should start to plummet, you know, in years ahead. So, I don't know if I answered your question. That off track. <laughs> I, I think you did. What was the question? <laughs> it was a lovely answer either way. Okay. I answered um, some questions. <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful of your schedule, oh. and I've gone way over my time. Oh, I, don't, I don't even know what I have next. Is there? <laughs> and now it's time to look at some important numbers in this week's startup news. It's Can I Get Your Digits? Annika, can I get your digits? Sure can, Megan. My number for this week is 20,000. That's the number of businesses Amazon is featuring on the latest section of its site, Amazon Storefronts. Amazon Storefronts only lists products that are sold by small and medium-sized U.S. businesses. The new section is a way to build exposure for these smaller businesses that otherwise might get lost on the giant Amazon platform. Megan, can I get your digits? Of course. My number this week is 10.4 billion. That's how much revenue worldwide technology earned in 2017. If you remember, I mentioned worldwide technology earlier in the roundtable. The St. Louis Business Journal just released their list of the top minority-owned businesses in St. Louis, and worldwide technology is at the very top, by a pretty wide margin. The next business on the list, NextGen Information Services, made a total of $60 million in 2017, which is still a pretty good amount, but pretty far off from $10.4 billion. So, way to go, worldwide technology. We've already talked about two startup stories from this week's news, but there's plenty more that you shouldn't miss out on. So without further ado, here's the week's startup headlines. First up, a biotech drug startup called Galera Therapeutics has raised $150 million, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Apparently, officials are calling this the largest capital round invested in a biotech company with St. Louis ties. And following up on a story we reported on previously, a nonprofit called Good Food Institute announced a $3 million competitive grant program for startups and universities working on plant-based and cell-based meat research. We like to end every episode with a quote about entrepreneurship. We typically prefer to end our episodes with something positive, plucky, and inspiring, but this (laughs) week we're failing. Tyler Van Winkle, a founding partner at the marketing startup Rivet, spoke about failure at a meetup of Kansas City entrepreneurs. It's easy to talk about celebrating failure, and it's easy to sit back and say we all learn from failure. But when you're going through that failure, you question your very meaning. I mean, failure is something that comes up all the time when we're talking about startups. Uh, And I wanted to talk about this quote this week because in our interview, Dave Copps brought up failure. Dave Copps says it's not failure because... Failure is putting a judgment on it. It's just what happens. It's just iteration, as he calls it. Interesting. To me, this isn't even negative. Like, I feel like this is a really positive thing for him to say. Like, a lot of the best successes come from failure. (laughs) Well, this has been one of our more introspective (laughs) quotes that we've talked about, but I like it. (laughs) Definitely. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Annika Marinelles and me, Megan Liz Smith. Our theme music was produced by Poddington Bear and D. Wolf Music. This episode was recorded in the KBIA studios. We'll speak to you next week.